Welcome to It Comes With Living, the podcast where no topic is taboo. We will listen, discuss, and learn from each other's life lessons, even the most difficult transitions. I'm your host, Stephanie BB. I'm a therapist and certified advanced palliative and hospice social worker. I have the honor of sharing time and space with individuals and families who are fighting serious illnesses, exploring their own mortality, or facing some of life's toughest circumstances. This work has inspired me and taught me so much about living on purpose. So join me as I share some of those lessons with you, and we'll sit down with some really great people doing some really hard things. And listen, we're going to have some fun too. So whether we're chatting about our peaks or valleys, celebrating our victories or overcoming disappointments, sharing moments of joy or heartbreaking sorrow, we know it comes with living. Thank you guys so much for joining me. I am so excited. I think you guys probably get tired of me saying that. I mean, we're still new, but it's something that I'm still really excited about every single time I get an opportunity to share with you all. But most importantly, man, my guest today is absolutely phenomenal. Um, I'm going to introduce her and then I'm going to let her tell you guys a little bit about her, but I'm going to introduce her as my friend. It is an absolute honor and delight to consider Delissa Banks, one of my personal friends. Um, because I have seen this amazing growth and transformation and how she's so bold and confident and has stepped into this space that many would have shied away from, but was so intentional about not only living her authentic life, but choosing to share it in the most authentic way. And so friend, I'm proud of you, um, but I'm absolutely honored that you would even want to come and share with me in this space as well, in this capacity. So um, Jalissa Banks, to me, is this phenomenal woman, mom, superhero. Um, she's also married to one of my favorite people on the planet. Um, and so, but this isn't about him. Um, <laughs> but I think if I were to say what I hope you guys get from this time today um, as I allow Jalissa to introduce herself, is that she is bold and courageous and has chosen to use her life experiences to help others. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. So Jalissa, tell the people a little bit about yourself. Well, um, well, first of all, I'm from Dallas, Texas, and I have been in Minnesota for three years. And um, when I moved here, my friend explained to me, she said, I feel like this is your cocoon moment. And I said, mm. okay. And right after she told me that it got cold and dark <laughs> and I went into a depression for about six months. Um, so prior to moving here, I had been diagnosed with a bipolar disorder, um, depression, anxiety, and PTSD. I have a history of sexual and physical abuse um, from you know t- the time I was eight years old until I was until I met my husband when I was 18, really. Um, So I spent those five years before we moved to Minnesota, just trying to figure out, no, I'm sorry, it's been five years since then. But um, those three years kind of really catapulted me into my healing because um, when I had first got diagnosed, I was still in my comfort zone. I was in Texas, I had friends and family and distractions. And I was kind of just going through the motions. And then I moved to Minnesota and everything got stripped away from me. Um, like I said, it was cold and dark. I didn't do anything but eat and sleep. I gained 50 pounds. Um, and it was just a really hard time for me. But 
like I said, it catapulted me into my healing. I didn't have anybody to distract me from focusing on myself. I didn't have anything to do. I didn't have a job. My kids were in school. My husband was at work. And so the last three years I've really spent um, getting to know myself and in getting to know myself, I'm also helping other people getting to know themselves too. Um, diagnoses are kind of tricky because everybody's kind of on a spectrum. But I find that the more that I share, people can at least relate to some of it, if not all of it. Um, and I started sharing about my journey because I chose to take something that was so shameful and hurtful to me and make it into something that empowered me. And so now I feel like instead of my diagnosis, like having a control over me, I control it because I, um, I now use it as a platform and as a tool to help other people. And that's where I am today. Listen, that was, that was a great intro. <laughs> that was awesome. So I think you set us up for a great foundation for our conversation about what it's really like to live number one, um, when with a diagnosis, but also how you found your way to not allow the diagnosis to define you. I think for me as a, a clinician, one of the things I often am trying to find ways to do is how do we make sure that we provide adequate psychoeducation so that people don't um, feel a label, but also make sure that they're informed enough to know what's going on and be able to take charge of their health. Um, but then also, how do we make sure that we we don't place them in situations that are traumatizing or re-traumatizing uh, because society doesn't know how to handle them when they're aware and confident about their diagnosis? And so I feel like you've met this segue or and segue probably is not a good word, but you've you've met this space of uniquely being able to um, navigate your diagnosis and not necessarily wear it as a label, but be confident enough and know enough to help support others and educate um, and try to remove the stigma. So can you tell us a little bit about kind of what your journey was like to even realizing that maybe there was something going on? Well, um, I had always felt from a very young age, I experienced anxiety. And when after therapy, we figured out that it started when my parents got a divorce. Um, so I used to have these moments where I would freak out and I would feel like somebody I loved was hurting. That's how my anxiety presented. I would call my aunts, my uncle, my grandparents, and they'd be like, we're fine. We're fine. Yeah. Relax. Um, that's when I started experiencing anxiety. And I used to do this thing. That's actually a technique um, that I didn't know I was doing, but I would wear a scrunchie around my wrist. And when I got anxious, I would pop it and it would distract me because it would hurt there. Yeah. Um, so I kind of knew that. And then, you know, I went to college and I got married and I had kids and, um, I was really just focused on my kids and my husband. And then it got to when I had, when I was pregnant with my, uh, no, actually I kind of had a breakdown when I had my third baby, I woke up one day and I was like, okay, well, you know, I'm 24, I have three kids and I do nothing else. <laughs> and then, um, a couple of years later, I just got to the point where I was just holding on to everything. And I was also a lot too many people, like too much yeah. many people. And I wasn't taking care of myself. And so I ended up having a breakdown. I, I never used to cry. I cried for two days straight. And I finally told my husband I was ready to go get help. And so um, I checked myself into the psych ward. And um, that week for me, um, I haven't really talked to many people who have actually gone to the psych ward. Mm -hmm. but that week for me was... Um, 
was pivotal in my in my healing because I learned about how my diagnosis was like what was wrong with me was in my brain yeah always contributed it to like oh there's something wrong with me I'm too sensitive or this or that but once I started learning that it's like you know, when you, when you break your arm, you go to the doctor to get a cast, right. like your, my brain is broken, you know? And, um, that started to help me. And I got, you know, I started to take medication and I started to go to therapy, but, um, consistent medication and consistent therapy have been like, I can't even explain the difference between sometimes taking my medication and sometimes going to therapy or also even talking to my therapist about what I felt like talking about instead of what I needed to talk about. Mm. Let the therapist say amen. Yes. So, <laughs> the, but the one thing that my therapist told me that really, this was a year ago now, I feel like in the last year I have just come leaps and bounds, but she told me, she said, um, she said, the problem with you is you have depression because you think about the past too much and then you have anxiety because you're too far in the future and she's like what you need to do is focus on the current mm. and ever since then it's just been focusing on what I can do that day and waking up and kind of changing my mindset I used to wake up and want to die and the first time I woke up and I said I called Marcel my best friend and I said why do I feel like I have a zest for life today wow <laughs> to, to be alive before but that's been consistent for about a year and a half now I'm not sure if I answered your question right no you I mean there's just so much that you're sharing number one I feel like you know we could talk about this forever because one of the things you shared was and I want to kind of highlight is that you would wake up and some days feel like you didn't want to live but to the person watching you I am like how does Jay do it all like you're a super mama you make meals every day you you know you're a supportive wife you your kids are really brilliant and you're attentive and present and you show up for all these people and you're doing all these things but inside there was an internal struggle that I didn't even know existed until you shared it like until you were like Steph and I was like are you okay and you were like I had no idea. Well, and actually, so you know what happened? I was in the psych ward and my phone was at home. And Brendan called me and he said, Stephanie texts you. She says she's thinking about you. You came on her heart. And I was like, oh my, <laughs> he knows. And so as soon as I got out, I think I texted you or called you. And I was like, listen, obviously I meant to tell you this because- You're you know, right. That's exactly how it happened. And I'll never forget like- there wasn't before, I don't think there was anything that gave me any kind of indications. And I'm glad you brought that up because I don't think I would have shared that here. But I remember immediately thinking like, is Jay okay? Like what's going on? Is she okay? And then um, I think Brendan finally did answer me and just say, she's okay. Like, you know, uh, but he didn't say anything else. So um, even in that space, and we were literally at that time seeing each other every morning working out. Mm -hmm. And I had no idea. Mm -hmm. So what, um, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, I think um, people with mental illness hide it very well. Um, some people do actually, some people don't. For me, I did. Um, for one, I was used to hiding it. Um, I've struggled for a very long time, but I never wanted to talk about it because one, um, the reason why I struggled, you know, for the, the abuse in my past, I was embarrassed to talk about it. So I didn't want yeah. people to be like, 
you know, and, and the thing has always been, oh, you're so, you're so beautiful and you're so happy. Like you said, you know, I have this wonderful life and it's like, I do, but there's something wrong inside of me, like something that's really hurting that just, I, I guess it just didn't manifest in the, the normal way that people's, you know, diagnoses manifest. But I know that part of me being such a super mom and being um, like overdoing everything, my husband calls me doing the most incorporated. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that comes a lot from me wanting my kids to have a better life than I had. Mm -hmm. um, my therapist is also, because I always wanted to have, I always have kids over my house. People are like, you have five kids. And I'm like, bring more over. It doesn't matter. And I, that comes from me not ever feeling safe at home. Mm. Um, so I wanted my home to be a very safe. I mean, I did have a happy home, but I never felt safe. So yeah. I wanted my my home to be safe and happy. And I wanted my kids to have, to not struggle ever with anything that I struggled with. And so I kind of like overdid it in those years, which for me ended up being a good thing because my kids are amazing, but I also neglected myself. Yeah. All yeah. those years I was doing all those things with my kids and I was exhausted. I slept. I used to think I had narcolepsy because I was so tired because I would do so much, but um, so yeah, I just, I covered it up really well. And I also had so many distractions, you know, yeah. I had friends, family, five kids, um, all the things. So yeah, nobody ever knew. So I think something you said is really important. I feel like it's the sixth time that I've said that <laughs> already today, but um, how a lot of times people are dealing with childhood trauma or dealing with, you know, past experiences and part of survival teaches us a little bit of that maladaptive coping where we are, you know, masking our feelings or um, trying to, or not identifying that what we feel actually is a result of that trauma. And we've, you know, learned to cope or adapt. And so any, even sometimes our negative thoughts are a result of that trauma. Yeah. And so, um, when we don't deal with those spaces or even have outlets to identify that that's where some of this stuff comes from, then we start to think, wait, all of this is about me. Like I'm broken. These are not the deposits of what happened to me, exactly. but this is just me. And so I'm glad you shared that. Cause I have clients all the time who are like, does everything have to do with my childhood? Uh, yep. And I'm like, mm -hmm. <laughs> probably like a lot of it, you know, past experiences, our childhood shapes us. And so um, healing from trauma is so important, but also I think when you talked about the fact that, um, going in for treatment helped you identify that there was something wrong with your brain, mm -hmm. that there was something like, there wasn't anything that you were necessarily doing wrong, but something in your brain was preventing you from feeling the joy that you desired or you were seeking out, um, or the safety and security that you were even trying to prepare for, provide for everybody else. Right. Um, and I think that's so important because sometimes people, when they're dealing with feelings and haven't gone to treatment or they're dealing with a mental illness that's undiagnosed, they're, they're thinking that it's like, why am I not feeling better? Why am I doing all these things and nothing's changing? When in reality, maybe you have a chemical imbalance. Maybe there are some things that, that need to be addressed that you just, with your skills alone, can't fix. Right. And there's actually, I've talked to so many people. And I was one of those people. I always knew there was something wrong, but I was like, you know, I don't want to get on medication. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. And that was mainly because of the stigma. It wasn't any, I had never heard any bad stories about anything. I just knew that people looked at people different when they knew they took medication or they went to a therapist. Um, and, and that was only five years ago. I mean, I think we've come so far since then. 
Mm-hmm. But back then, like, I just didn't want to do it. But um, I also know that there's so many things that will help your depression and anxiety or whatever your diagnosis is. There's actually diets. There's like a depression diet that yeah. you can do that you don't even have to get on medication. But I think it's like realizing that you, there is something wrong with you and that you need to actively do something to make yourself better. Like, it's not just going to heal itself. Medication is not just going to heal. It might give you energy. right. I make you feel better, but you still need to actively be working on your trauma. And it's not easy. I tell yeah. people that all the time. Like, I know that it sucks right now, but I promise that it's better on the other side. And I think that when you start doing those little steps, for me, it's been like, I, you know, I don't go to therapy and then the next day I'm like, oh, I feel so much better. It'll be like three months later. And I'm like, oh my goodness. Like, I feel so much better than I did three months ago. How did I get here? Yeah. Um, And it just happens by doing, just getting through every single day, you know, one step at a time. Yeah. And healing isn't linear. And I think that's something that I I hope people take from something that, you know, what you're sharing is that it's a continual process. It is continuous. You're continuing to do the work. You continue to show up for yourself. You continue to stay consistent with your medications. You're continuing to go to therapy, but like healing isn't linear. And sometimes that means some days are really great. You're in these these peaks. And then some days there are these, these valleys. But what I love about you is that you continue to push through. Like you'll say open and honest, like I didn't get out of the bed for two days, but guess what guys? <laughs> the day I did. Right. Like, and I think that's so important. Well, and another thing that I've learned in healing too is, um, well, once you start to heal yourself, you're way less hard on yourself. Um, especially when you're depressed. I mean, I think depression is almost like hating yourself. Everything is your fault and you feel terrible and you can do nothing right. But once you start healing yourself, you give yourself so much more grace. And so even now when I have my low points, um, first of all, they're not as low as they used to be. Right. Um, But when I get down there, I'm able to tell myself, okay, you know what? It sucks right now, but you, you'll feel better tomorrow. You'll feel better two days. If not two days, you'll feel better in a week. If you need to lay in bed for a week, that's fine. You've had a very productive two weeks. <laughs> like it's okay to take a break. So even like when, when you're, when you're healing in the beginning, you still have those highs and lows. But once you get further down, it's like, when you get low, you know that you can come out of it. Yeah. When, in the past, I was like, I can't come out of this. And that's why I would be so sad. Yeah. And I think that's, that. I'm so glad that you shared that you still have highs and lows, but the reality is that now, you know, that this low is temporary and you know that you have the ability, but I think what I also hear you saying is that you built this trust in yourself that I'm not sure you had before where you weren't necessarily sure you had the skills or ability to be able to pull yourself up from that space um, with the support system, you know, and and the tools that you have. But I hear you saying like, I, I, I know I can do this. Like, I know that even in the dark spaces that I can see the light again, I can come out of this. Right. It's just, you always think you're always searching for this person or this thing or something to make you feel better. And I think the hardest thing for me to grasp was that it was me, you know, it was me that I was searching for. It wasn't anybody else. It wasn't a thing. It wasn't a career. It wasn't you know, whatever I was trying to do. And once you start healing yourself, you're like, oh, like I can do this. Like, I don't need anybody else. And, you know, I was talking to my friend and he was telling me, no, that was my other friend, Jade. She was saying, you know, at the end of the day, you know, everybody dies and you have to be prepared for it to just be you. Like, what are you going to, what are you going to do if it's just you? 
it's always you. So yeah. uh, I have gained a lot of trust in myself. Like I said, a lot of give myself a lot of grace because I understand now why I am the way that I am. And that's through healing. Yeah. So you took all of this, exp- all of your experiences and what made you decide, you know what, I'm going to tell the people on Al Gore's internet <laughs> about what I am going through. Like what made you decide to, to step into that space? Honestly, I have no idea what initially, well, I started blogging. I remember I was really big into blogging. And then I think little by little, I just started sharing stuff and, and honestly became a way, cause you know, I, well, I'm a writer. So it actually right. became a way for me to heal. Um, I would just write out these captions and I would feel better, but it was really like a journal entry. And then I just started posting stuff. And um, once when I wrote about a really, really dark time that I had when like I couldn't get out of bed and my husband had to like get in the shower with me with his clothes on to make me shower. And so many people related to that. And it blew my mind because I was like almost like post and delete. Like I don't want you know people to know this. But that was the first time where I said, oh, like people really do go through this. It's not just me, <laughs> you know. Um, so helping like even one person is worth it because I didn't have anybody, I didn't have anybody on the internet to, um, tell me that what I was struggling with was normal. Um, now, you know, there's so many people, Mm -hmm. but, um, so that's really what helped is, you know, people reaching out and telling me that they related to it because that also makes me feel like I'm not alone. So yeah. And I, I mean, I never forget the day you made your first post about um, your mental health. And I think I texted you and I was like, dude, you're so brave. Like, I just was like, and I, I may have even cried too, because I think knowing and seeing how, um, how you balanced and still showed up and still tried to, like your transparency just with your friends and people close to you. Even in that, I was like, dude, like you know, choosing to share all those parts of you when people have their preconceptions and their, you know, inaccurate perceptions of information and, you know, all these negative things, you opened yourself up regardless of what the outcome might have been. You just were like, you know what, this is my truth. This is what's going on. It's here. And I just was, as your friend, so proud of you. But when I started to see how it was impacting others, when I started to see the impact that it had, I was like, oh my gosh, like, (laughs) this isn't even really, it's you sharing about you. Yeah. And so once you realized the impact that you were having and like people were blowing up your comments and your DMs, what made you say, I think I'll keep pushing. I think I'll take this to another level. Um, well, one, I've always had a very good support system. Um, people who spoke life into me, you, you're one of those people. Um, but my husband, for one, was like, babe, you're helping people. Like, you don't understand the impact that you're making. And I thought to myself like if if I were going to have a platform I wouldn't want it to be about fashion or hair or makeup like I want because I want I always tell people I'm raising five world changers like I don't Mm -hmm. want just to just fall into something and like you said to shrink themselves I want them to find what's deep inside them that they're passionate about and 
find a way to make that work for them. And for me, it was like, well, I'm very passionate about people, you know, finding out what's wrong with them or finding out about them or seeking help. And so it was just kind of a day by day, like, I'll just keep doing this type thing and see if people still respond to it. And it got kind of hard for a minute because I do have my biggest response when I write about my saddest moments, Yeah. but I don't want to always write about that. <laughs> so it's kind of hard because, you know, I also want to promote healing as much as I want to promote that it's normal to feel, you know, suicidal. I want to also promote that on the other side of that. Right. And healing. So it's kind of a hard balance, but I still, you know, I still manage it, but I mean, there's, there's just there's no feeling like knowing that like something that you struggle with so bad is helping somebody else. It's like, it's almost like unfair. It's like, Oh, okay. <laughs> well, you know, it's like, a, it's a, it's a lose win situation, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. it feels really good to at least know that at least I'm not going through this for no reason. You know, at least um, I'm helping people, at least my kids understand what mental illness is and, you know, they won't struggle half as half as much as I did. So it's just like a day by day thing. Yeah. What I, take from your experience is that there was purpose I you know I don't do that whole this happened to me because I'm supposed to whatever that's not what I mean I mean that you took this experience and you found purpose in it you found passion in it and you are really using that to elevate and help others and so that's that's kind of what I mean by that and also so the transparency and authenticity um I think is what draws people in because I think there are a lot of different you know posts out there that are people are sharing you know about mental health and mental you know break the stigma and those kind of things um but I'm glad you highlighted that you don't just want to talk about the sadness you don't just want to talk about the difficult moments and the difficult spaces but the fact that healing is a reality and I think for most people when they're in the midst of a crisis healing seems impossible and so you choosing to share both sides of the spectrum, I think is so important. And it's so, it's, it's I hate to say beautiful, Jay, but that, that's the word that's coming to me. It's, it's beautiful. Yeah, it's, um, I mean, it feels really good, especially like when you've been, when you've hated yourself for so long, you know, and it's like, even in the midst, I talk to my therapist about this all the time, even in the midst of me, um, you know, raising my kids and everybody always gives me confidence. You have such well-behaved kids and you keep your house so clean and all this stuff. And it's like, I still felt terrible. And so for the longest time, and I think that's why you said what people feel like healing is impossible because you go so long, just feeling so hopeless. Um, I had no hope that I would ever feel, feel any better ever. I just thought I would live my life struggling the way that I did. And, um, my bipolar, like, I just get really sad. Like, I don't ever have any outbursts or anything like that. I'll, I'll get manic sometimes, but then I just clean a lot. But mm-hmm. um, I just get really sad and I stay in bed. And so the the first time, like, the first day that I went that I didn't need a nap, I felt like something was wrong with me. I was like, I, I don't know what it's like to have energy after, after I make breakfast. <laughs> like, I want to go yeah. back to sleep. Um, so, yeah, it's just it feels impossible because it's your life for so long and even there's still days like even days like today where I'm like how am I talking about this you know how how am I here but it's just those those small steps every day taking your medicine going to the therapist um and then you're there but it's it's totally possible 
And I think if people, I think if we spoke, if we all spoke more and were more transparent about our struggles, because everybody has struggles. Every single human having a human experience has struggles. Nobody is is exempt. And, you know, we're in the age of technology. So we see everybody's, um, you know, the life that they want to portray to us on the internet. And it's most of the time, not all the way true. You know, as much as I share on the internet, people still don't know what's really going on in my life. So it's really hard to, to see other people and think that they don't struggle, but we all do. And we need to talk about it more because it helps people. It, it really does. Um, even me, like even knowing all that I know about myself and my mental illness, still talking to people that have bipolar is, is just changes my life. Cause I'm like, let's talk about it. Like, yeah, go through this. That, like it's just it, we all need to talk about it more and I me being transparent is inauthentic is just the person that I am I don't know any other way to be um, I'm grateful that I had a family that raised me that way um, so I'm just I'm just being me and like trying to change the world I guess <laughs> and you're doing it so speaking of changing the world um, that was a great segue um <laughs> One of the things that you have done that is absolutely major, and I literally cry almost every time I look at the book, and I'm just, I, I just get so proud of my friends because I, I understand what it takes to pour out something and believe in something wholeheartedly, um, and and hope that it just does what you intended it to do. Um, and so I am so proud. One of the things that you've recently done is write a children's book. And so, I mean, for those of us who read your blog, we know that you like have a way with words, um, but to see you step into this space was absolutely amazing. And I mean, it would make the hair stand up on my arm, um, just reading it. And you, you've done such a great job. So tell us about how you made the pivot to like, you know what? I, I think I want to tell children a little bit about this too. Um, well... It started with me wanting to write something about mental illness. And the more my thoughts developed and went on and on, and then the more I learned about the book writing process, I said, well, I don't need to write a novel first. Well, at least not me. Um, and so I started thinking about things that did not exist. Like, mm -hmm. that's my thing. I know that there is space for everybody and everything in this world, even if you do something that a million other people do. But I've always had this thing where I just wanted to do my own thing. And I wanted to find something that didn't exist. And so one day I was like, you know what? I, I wonder if there's children's books that, that explain mental illnesses. Because there's tons that explain emotions and mm -hmm. body, bodily functions, like all of that stuff. But there was nothing that explained mental illnesses. And I, Googled, I researched my butt off because I was like, I don't want to plagiarize anybody or anything. And it just didn't exist. And so... It, I started out with wanting to write just one children's book about many mental illnesses and, and that presented in parents. And then once the female publisher talked, she said, no, this is, you need to make a series of books that each highlight one illness. And I was like, well, that's smart because, you know, it gives me a series to write yeah. and I get to elaborate more on those illnesses. And so I started out with postpartum depression because to me in in my realm that's the most prevalent because all my friends are moms and you know having babies and and going through that and so I had a lot to pull from um I had a lot of our conversations and their emotions and things that I had researched and read and what I knew about postpartum depression and 
I just sat down and wrote and um, I only had to edit that like twice, but, and then I got a couple of people that had PPD to read it and they were like, well, I hate you because I'm crying and I'm like, good, that's exactly what I wanted. <laughs> but um, yeah, I just, um, any way that I can help, it's, it's hard to explain to kids um, what you're going through. And a lot of parents are ashamed of it because, you know, they want to be the adults and they want to seem like they have it all together. But in reality, we are still growing with our children and our children need to know that their parents struggle too. Um, it's really important in our house that whenever somebody makes a mistake that we say, you know, or forgets to do something like you made a mistake, it's okay, but just know that there's consequences when you forget to do stuff. Like, and that we forget to do it too. Mommy and daddy forget to do stuff all the time. Yeah. But if we pay the light bill, guess what? We don't have electricity. Um, so it's just always reminding them that mommy and daddy are, are growing too, we're not perfect. And highlighting the mental illnesses to me just, just really helps people get out the words that they can't say to their kids. Like yeah. if it were me, back in the day and I had this book, I'd be so happy to read about how mommy has bipolar because I had no idea how to talk to them about it. So I'm yeah. hoping that through my series, it just really helps that conversation. Because um, in the in the back of the book, there's follow-up questions to like start conversation. And um, I'm going to do that in every book to to spark that that conversation in their family about what they're going through. So, so that's how that happened. So what I love about what you did in the book is not only did you create this psychoeducation tool, which is what it is like from a therapist perspective, I'm like, it is straight up psychoeducation, but also you validated the parents need to bring their child in, in a way that says, I love you. I'm here. And this doesn't, this is happening to us, but it's not necessarily about you. Like, I love you and things may feel different, um, but it's not because of you, you know, but then also give a child a space to, to understand and validate their feelings of things being different and feeling different and feel, I mean, and you just did a, a, a beautiful job of, um, validating both roles and, um, hopefully leading to conversations and helping parents communicate, um, PPD about PPD to their children. And so, kudos to you and I can't wait to see what comes up um with the other parts of the series because I think you've done a phenomenal job um and I don't even think you said the name of the book um but everything changed after the baby is that it everything changed everything changed after the baby baby. and so it's illustrated beautifully my boys have read it um and they like it and little Corey even asked me he was like well uh did things change after Corbin And I was like, you know, and we actually had never really talked about life after Corbin. We just started recently um, talking about some of his feelings about having a little brother and how he loves his little brother, but feels like things are different. Um, And so even though I don't, I I feel like I struggle with postpartum depression and never really had conversations outside of Corey and my doctor. Right. And a lot of people didn't know until like later, I was like, by the way, I had postpartum and they were like, how? You know, um, you didn't say anything. I was like, I would tell y'all I'm sad. And they're like, but you'd say it laughing. And I'm like, but I was sad. Like, I would say I don't feel like myself and nobody believed me. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So to to have a tool that even we could use to discuss um, some of our experiences, I thought was really, really cool. And um, I probably wouldn't even have the conversation with them had we not been like, hey, Miss J wrote a book. Let's read it. <laughs> right. 
Yeah, I think uh, I think it'll help a lot. I'm, I mean, that's my my greatest wish is that it you know it helps a lot of families. Even if it helps one family, I don't care. Like I just I need I need my kids to grow up in a world where they feel like nothing is wrong with them. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I, and to look around and to feel human and to know that everybody else is going through something and that, and that it's okay. And what I can do to to help that is, you know, write books and make posts and, and not stop until, you know, I see some change. And I mean, we are seeing change. I'm, I'm very happy that, you know, I am able to do this in, you know, 2021 and it's not 1935. Yeah. <laughs> I to tell people about this. So I'm grateful to be, you know, kind of marching with the movement. Um, but yeah, I'm 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 glad that it can help. I'm I'm excited to continue writing. I'm excited. I'm not excited to see where it goes because I'm terrified. But I guess I'm ready because you're never ready. Yeah, listen, listen, I'm cheering you on, but I think you're right. You're moving with the movement. And I think that is what's so important. Um, is that we march even when the when people stop talking, when people stop, you know, when it's no longer a hot topic that we're still doing the work to educate people about mental health matters, but also the fact that we help to break the stigma around mental health and we really normalize seeking. Um, care and and trying to uh, have our both our best emotional health and mental health. Um, I think that's so important. So I love good takeaways. So I want you to do two. The first I want you to do is what would you tell the person who's sitting at home and knows they feel different, knows that they are struggling, but hasn't really stepped into any kind of action? Well, the easiest thing for me is not talking to people that I know because I feel like, I mean, besides my husband, but anybody else, I feel like either they were going to give me advice that wasn't in my best interest that, Mm -hmm. you know, they thought was the best for me or they wouldn't um, understand. Um, But that's personally for me. So for me, my first step was actually reaching out to my general doctor. And I always recommend that to, or my PCP, I recommend that to everybody because I think when you, when you, if you think about the grand scheme and you say, okay, there's something wrong with me. I need, I know I need to do this and do that and take this and take that. Like just start with your PCP and tell them how you feel. It's somebody who doesn't know you, who's not going to judge you, who hears stuff like this every single day, all day. And they can either get you started on either a low dose of medication or tell you some holistic routes. I've had doctors that have given me some um, some all, some herbal supplements to try to see what I could do. But it doesn't have to be scary. You don't have to think about going to the psych ward or telling your whole family at one time. Like you can just start with telling your spouse or telling a friend, and then just going to your general doctor. You don't have to set up an appointment with a psychiatrist or anything. Um, and I would say, it's not you. It's your brain. <laughs> and you know, stop being so hard on yourself. That's that's really one of the most important things to healing is learning how to not be hard on yourself and to understand that you are the way that you are and that's okay. Yeah. Retraining your brain, getting rid of those negative thoughts. And so what would you say to the person that is concerned or has someone that they care about and they want to support them? Maybe they're new in their mental health journey, but they're trying to figure out how to be present, how to support them. Or maybe, you know, they're not even, they've identified maybe that there's some issues and that person isn't, you know, seeking any treatment or anything. What would you say to that person? 
what was really important to me um, when I was going through it is like, cause I remember once I started feeling better, I looked at my husband and I said, it wasn't that bad in the past, was it? And he was like, oh no, it was terrible. <laughs> but he never told me it was terrible. He never made me feel like I was being terrible. Um, I think it's really important to just love that person and to show that you support them. You don't have to have long conversations with them. Um, I remember one of one thing that my, one of my best friends did that actually started a tradition. Um, I had had a, a bad weekend and she had been in New Orleans and instead of like coming over and asking me what had, what went on or whatever, she brought me macaroons. And like, we just sat there, we ate macaroons, we watched TV. And then I, at the end, I finally, you know, felt okay with opening up to her, but you know, send them food. Depressed people love to eat. <laughs> um, just show them that you care. And I think that naturally that will make them want to open up to you. Um, there's nothing you can force on them. My husband told me, he said, I knew that I could never tell you what you needed to do you have to do it for yourself and it's really true though you really can't force anybody to do anything that they don't want to do they have to want to do it so love them support them show them and prove to them that you care and that you're there for them don't just you know pop up and every once in a while and be like hey checking on you and then not return their texts <laughs> you know like you have to show them that they care because when you're depressed you're really isolated and you feel like yeah. nobody truly cares about you and it really means something and to me it, it meant something to have just one person and now I probably have six or seven people that I can lean on and but that's like all I need and I, I could probably be okay with just one you know but if you, as long as I have one person that I feel like loves and supports me it makes it a little bit easier yeah what, what about the person who doesn't have anyone is there a way to cre create that support system outside of like, if you don't have, you feel like you don't have maybe family or friends who show up for you in that way, how would you encourage them to foster and create a support system? Um, I would say that number one, they probably don't have anybody because they have trust issues, you know, I, <laughs> but I would say to just, it, I don't know, it's hard because you don't, when you're in that moment, you don't want to believe that anything is going to get better. And it's almost like you keep yourself down. And when you're alone and you have nobody to help you, um, that can be really, really, really hard. Yeah. Um, and I think in those, in those spaces, I think that therapeutic relationships sometimes can be the first starting point of like, just feeling like, if I can learn to trust my therapist, then maybe I can learn to trust other people. Like this is a person I pay to hold my secrets. Definitely therapy. Like I said, like anonymity, like, mm -hmm. you know, them not in your life to me. I could tell, I told my therapist everything. Well, one, I know she hears stuff like this all, all the time. Like every time <laughs> I tell her something and I expect her to be like, oh, she's just like, oh, okay. <laughs> but um, therapy 100% and even if you don't if you go to a therapist and you're not sure like go to another therapist keep going until you find one that you love that you click with it's it's like a you're not going to find one of the first I mean you might but don't quit you know just try but therapy every single human should be in therapy but you know this because you're a therapist yeah um, but I that was good Jay that was a good plug <laughs> but saying like it's it's been pivotal in in my healing it's there's to be told first of all that there's nothing wrong with you and to to have somebody 
explain to you what's wrong with you is is life-changing there's just nothing better than that well, thank you so much. And I think you're, you're exactly right. Finding a therapist is like dating. You have to, you know, just keep trying till you find someone that's a good fit. Um, well, can you tell the people where to find you? Because I know they want more. Um, I'm just so stoked. But where can they find you? Uh, so Instagram, my handle is the bundle of banks. Um, Facebook is bundle of banks. And, uh, oh, my website is bundleofbanks.com, but um, my book is also for sale on my website. So that's where I am and that's where I'll be until God says otherwise. <laughs> Come on, that's a word too. <laughs> that's a word too. Well, friend, I am so extremely grateful um, for your vulnerability, for your transparency, for your willingness to share um, in this way, for your support as a friend, um, for your friendship, for your love, all those things. Um, I, I don't take any of it for granted. Um, so just thank you so much for being you. Um, you are a gift to the world. And um, I hope you keep stepping into all the spaces and take every opportunity that you can to share your voice, because it's one the world needs to hear. Thank you so much. I am honored and ditto to all of that. You know how I feel. We got that um, Kamala and uh, Michelle Obama thing going on. Come on, come on. <laughs> I see you, girl. I see you. I hope you are encouraged and inspired by today's episode. Thank you so much to Delissa. I am so inspired by how she's breaking through the stigma of mental health. So if you are someone who can relate, maybe you're having some struggles of your own, I want to encourage you to reach out for some support. Just because no one else can heal or do your inner work for you doesn't mean you can, should, or need to do it alone. There is support available, okay? We want you to know that there is light. There is light. Even though it feels heavy, even though there's the darkness, there is light and healing is indeed possible. So if you or someone you know is needing support, please reach out to the National Helpline at 1-800-662-4357. That service is available 24 hours a day, 365 days a year for referrals, information, and support. Once again, that number is 1-800-662-4357. Please don't suffer in silence. You are not alone. So whether we are exploring our peaks or valleys, celebrating our victories or overcoming disappointments, sharing moments of joy or heartbreaking sorrow, we know it comes with living.